I'd just like to also introduce Phoebe, who's facilitating um, with the, the beanie just there. Um, Phoebe has, is a, was an employee of um, Village Greens from a number of years. She's a farmer, um, and she's kindly agreed to facilitate this panel. It's also her birthday today, so if everyone can give her a big clap for her birthday. <laughs> and um, over to you. I'm hoping we can get, a, get away without microphones, but we'll see how we go.
take a leaf out of Anne Marie's book, and because we have so many panelists and we have so many amazing people and we're going to get stuck into a discussion, we're going to keep your time. So um, we're going to have heaps of time for discussion and questions, but I just want to start off by hearing from everybody about a couple of things related to the theme of scale and viability. So you guys have three minutes each. Um, so I'd like to start off today's discussion about by hearing from each of you about how you started up your current model. And how did this clinically, like how did you secure land? How did you raise capital? How did you find those markets? Um, so basically, how did you get where you are? So are you happy to start already? Okay, I'm going to sit up. Yeah, so we moved to Australia four and a half years ago. And we moved here to Southern Highlands with a job already. So we were hired to set up a big organic farm for family bought a place in that area. Um, so after doing that for a year, they decided to sell the property wasn't the right situation for what they wanted to do, wasn't yeah, a good property for that. So, um, but with the money that we made there, we were to keep my visa and also start our own business. Um, so we actually, so when we knew that was closing up, we put out an ad on small food, uh, small farms that work in our area, so it's still not like um, yeah, just for our direct shoulders of area. Um, and through that we got you know, a huge amount, like probably about 80 people contacted us to go and see their places. Um, the one we ended up landing on wasn't through that, but um, it was someone that we knew and we, we just went to meet them because they were really into BD. They, the last couple they were on, they were BD farmers, or using BD practices to raise cattle. Yeah, so we went to visit them and we just sort of mentioned that we were looking for them and they said, oh, well, you know, we've got this problem and we always wanted to have other people there. Um, so it was through that. So we met them and then we kind of organically, this relationship grew and we decided to, you know, they brought up that we could um, get a lease from them and they showed us a little plot that they had and then, yeah, just sort of, yeah, happened very organically. Um, and so, yeah, so we leased there. At the beginning, we were just doing, like, we were doing water lease. on keeping things local. That's what we did in Canada. We were, we were, we did two big farmers markets in Canada and we, we both have a, we're very passionate about feeding our direct community, you know, nutrient dense food. And that was, that's sort of our mission. Um, so we started doing uh, family boxes. There isn't a good farmers market where we are. So we just did family boxes um, and local restaurants. Uh, and that was good. Um, second season, we started an online shop, like a, online shop where we sold um, produce to direct directly to the local community and delivered it to their door and we did local restaurants and then we were contacted by Sydney and they kept sort of knocking on our door but we were saying you know no 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 we're not ready because um, we never felt we really had enough food so uh, but we did we started going to Sydney that January and then this year this season gone we actually most probably 40% of our produce did go to Sydney so we're now supplying a provador in Sydney who um, supplies a lot of restaurants 
in that area and she does family boxes too and we had a baby born in December so that was like we, we stopped the family the local most of the local family boxes just for time's sake like I was doing managing most of that and it was a lot a lot of evening work and so yeah so next season we hope to bring back the family boxes at least locally maybe a CSA style um, yeah that's it Hi, um, I uh, was a scientist, I was a geologist, and I met um, what was to become my business partner and my husband, Michael, um, and he already owned a, a fairly ordinary, ordinary little bush bot outside of Canberra, and uh, it's just dry sclerophyll, an inch of topsoil if you're lucky. Uh, not, not a good place, not, not got good water security really. Um, and I, um, but um, he was already growing vegetables and I had been involved in vegetable gardens since I was a kid. I just loved, I seemed to gravitate to gardeners and vegetable growers and all through my student years, I was growing backyard vegetables and we decided to have a couple of kids and I um, said, okay, I was fortunate enough, I'm ancient. Um, so uh, I was fortunate enough to, to be able to take off seven years while our two boys went to school and I was worried about generating some money. I wanted to go to England for a trip and I thought, what can I do? So um, we were already growing vegetables on the farm and we, um, I started, a, I did a vegetable growing calendar because in cold climates, timing is everything. I, I think actually that's true everywhere, timing is everything. But in the kind of climate we have in Canberra, it is very, very crucial. And I went to a little market and started selling herb seedlings um, in punnets because in those days there wasn't much available. And I already knew you didn't need one parsley plant, you needed 10. And you didn't need, you know, one sage plant, you needed 10. So I, I just developed this little thing. I paid for a trip overseas and I've been growing vegetables ever since. I never did go back to science. I was lucky I was able to grow organically. We, we got bigger and bigger. Um, we're at maximum capacity now and it's only half an acre, so it's tiny and it, therefore it has to be really tightly managed. Um, and um, the reason we can't go any bigger is not because we haven't got the land. We've got 40 hectares. It's because we haven't got the water and we haven't got particularly good quality water and it's getting worse. Um, so the water is the limitation and, um, yeah, um, marketing, yes. Okay, actually I just will mention that in, in this pro progress from becoming a gardener to a garden farmer, we brought in um, a small herd, a small flock of laying chickens and they have been crucial in our fertility and they are stacked on top of the vegetables very actively. They are in and out of vegetable gardens. Um, we, I started off going to market. We sold off the back of the truck in Gundaroo. That was a pain in the neck. Um, we always were left with stuff. Uh, and somebody approached us. We knew about CSAs. It was the very, very beginning days of CSAs. Um, but we have always felt like we didn't really want that relationship. We were pretty private. And anyway, somebody approached us and said, could they buy a box of vegetables? They couldn't come to the market stall. That developed into um, about a 15 box CSA and then restaurants. Today, 
I am really lucky. I am, I am flying on a reputation of amazing tasting vegetables and pretty much the Arboretum in Canberra owns All Sun Farm. <laughs> Um, I leased land for 15 years and couldn't see myself getting far enough ahead to buy my own block, which was the goal. So I started uh, my shop, cafe, with the idea of building it up, selling it to buy my own land. And after five years, I sold it for a good profit and bought my land in 2011. And all the equipment that I'd always wanted some of which I still haven't used seven years later. <laughs> and I bought an old citrus orchard. I was selling at the Adelaide Farmers Market and delivering to a few organic shops at the time. Um, and it's over two hours drive from Adelaide. And for that reason and a few others, um, I decided to move away from the farmers market and then became certified, which changed everything for the better and uh, I've now cleared what was old citrus and grown cash crops to pay for a new orchard which is just coming into production and pretty much I got into the wholesale market just by ringing all the wholesalers and telling them that I was growing stone fruit so they all fell over backwards to you know, wanted to be my friend because there's not enough around. And then I could sell my cash crops to them and just picked which wholesalers I like to deal with and have gone with them. Um, and yeah, just plodding along and enjoying what I do. So that's about it. Um, I um, am third generation broad acre cropping genes. My parents didn't crop, but my grandfather um, had yeah, cropping and sheep for lamb and wool. And four of those uncles uh, have continued and there's 21 grandchildren in that family and almost half of that would have gone into, you know, um, ag lines and broad acre farming. And uh, I think growing up and being around the farms sort of was, you know, gets into your blood. But I actually wanted to move to Melbourne and, and do the, you know, city thing as I became a teenager and ended up studying in healthcare, but always moving around and not really ever finding joy in what I was actually doing. And took some time off um, being, I was a physio, and I took some time off and spent time on the family farms and really, really enjoyed that. But for whatever reason, in terms of, you know, land accessibility and even talking about food and fibre and who's eating the food of broadacre farming and actually where does the grain go to and what, what's, you know, delving deeper and thinking more about food systems, I started looking at small-scale agriculture and um, I'd already, yeah, I'd already had a hex debt of another career and I was looking at studying, um, you know, conventional ag at uni. I was looking at studying organic farming at TAFE and I uh, ended up doing a PDC with um, Milkwood and uh, learnt about this uh, woofing 
um, internship, which at the time sounded a bit like exploited labour. Um, but uh, I learnt quite a bit. <laughs> I learnt quite a bit about, um, you know, when, when you think deeper about it, it and getting your head around the fact that you do TAFE or uni and you actually pay to learn, um, the idea of a sort of an apprenticeship-based, um, you know, learning opportunity, uh, you know, yeah, it sounded great. And uh, I think if you've got the smarts enough to question, you know, the, what, you know, it, I guess you get out of what I, in my experience of that situation, you get out of, uh, you know, anything you do um, is dependent on you and what you, you know, the questions you ask and how much you give is, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, so I ended up uh, interning for Old Mill Road, Kirsty, that's probably why she was laughing, and we, one of the most positive, you know, the best things I did because um, my, um, yeah, in, sorry, in working as a physio, I think as soon as, I, you know, I worked in the hospital system, 20 seconds, I thought I could do this in like one minute. Um, in working in hospitals, the time you are the most ill is the time that you eat the worst quality food. And so I was like, you know, imagine the potential of, you know, growing awesome food in a hospital-based system. In the end, I kind of at the back of my mind knew that Aubrey Wodonga, um, you know, the, the, the thing, the local food scene, the local food scene in Aubrey Wodonga, there was a farmer's market and then there's a big wholesaler. And I was like, I reckon actually there's a market there. At that time, my parents had moved um, from town, we grew up in town, and they had moved onto 50 acres, uh, river flat, um, river flat soil, great water source just off the Murray River. And uh, when I um, moved back and started growing food, I actually couldn't get into the local farmers market for whatever reason. Ended up starting veg boxes. The veg boxes were a hit, I think, because the farmers market wasn't great. So anyone who, you know, was looking for that could get it through a veg box. Um, and that allowed me to, you know, self-customise and, you know, without people wanting to be picky and choosy. Uh, eight weeks ago, I've since been able to get into the farmer's market and there's, a, you know, a great move with uh, other growers. So that's access to market. Good day, guys. Um, I'm Andy. I farm at Naringa and Mount Barker Summit. Um, I moved here in 2015 with my partner Eliza. Um, came from the UK, didn't know Seoul, didn't know anybody in South Australia. Um, I've been farming in the UK for a couple of years. Um, did an apprenticeship with the Soil Association in the UK. Um, did a, that was incredible, just being placed with a farmer who'd been on a piece of land for 25 years. Um, just learning from somebody's mistakes and not having to do them myself. Um, so when I started at Naringa, there was no there was no market garden there. We started with 65 square meters, which is one bed. Um, we were approached by a chef to do um, a single origin dinner. The idea being we just grew all the beds for one dinner. Um, that was really successful. The chef wanted more, so we put in more beds. Um, he told his friends, they told their friends. Um, currently we farm um, three acres now of mixed vegetables. Um, we um, we sell to um, we sell to chefs in Adelaide. Um, we sell to retailers in the city. Um, we do a small veg box scheme, um, and we we're in a really lucky position where 
we're 30 minutes from the CBD. Um, there seems there's just an amazing um, opportunity in Adelaide for, for growers. It's a very small number of growers in a huge market to serve um, such to the extent that we've actually got a waiting list of chefs and restaurants um, who are just giving me a ring every week trying to get on and can't. Um, for all the people that came to the Market Garden Tour on Friday, thank you for coming. It was a really nice day. Um, you guys got to see the garden and the way we grow there and we, we're trying to grow, um, we're trying to grow smart, we're trying to grow intelligently, we're trying to grow gently um, with delicacy and intuition um, and we're trying to be, we're trying to be adaptive um, so that we can meet this constantly changing world around us of demand and fashion and taste and fads and just try and do that in some sort of balance um, with what the farm can provide. Um, yeah, looking forward to the future. And so do you leave oh yeah, so yeah, it's quite we, quite an unusual situation whereby um, I actually get paid the salary to to run the farm, um, and also get profit share on top of that. Um, so. As you all know, in the market gardening world, it's probably quite rare to um, be able to get a really a good baseline salary and security of that and a profit share as well. I've, I've farmed, um, I've worked on other farms in the past and got paid for that. Um, I've farmed myself briefly. Um, so I, I have had experience of all different kinds of model, models of farming. This one, this one works exceptionally well, but it, um, I would imagine it takes the right person, the right farm, the right situation, um, the right series of different things that um, form viability, which we'll talk about. Um, yeah. Cool. All right, so yeah, I'm, I'm John. Um, I have two kind of parallel businesses that kind of work together, so one is heirloom harvest, which um, we grow seeds, um, which we at, at the moment are only selling in, in retail size packaging um, to home gardeners, but we, and we also sell market gardening tools, which I'm sure quite a few people might've actually bought tools from us um, over the last few years. And then our parallel business is our fresh produce production, um, which is, goes under the name of Dancing Waters Farm. So like Aaron, I grew up on a multi-generational kind of cropping. Um, we also had a livestock farm. Um, and then because of that, it seemed like the um, kind of the, the right thing to do to um, continue through to university and study agriculture, which I did. And then after that, I actually um, got a job for a big ag research company. So basically was trialing new varieties um, and trialing some chemicals and things like that as well for them. And after doing that for a few years, I became completely and utterly disillusioned with the, the big ag kind of uh, industry. So I moved completely away from agriculture for, for a number of years. Um, and yep, yep, okay, I'll bring back to it. Yep. <laughs> so to bring it back to farming, I guess, is that, um, that um, I then, while doing other things, kind of came across the kind of more small scale organic ecological style farming so I um, moved we moved back to the mainland I ended up working for a, a 
market garden, which grew seeds for the Diggers Club and um, fresh vegetables and um, spent about four years working there before going out on my own and leasing land um, and growing on about three quarters of an acre leased land for about two to three years we were doing that and then we were actually able to get into the position to purchase um, a property. So now we've just over the last 18 months moved farms from the leased land onto our, our own land, which we now own, uh, which has been a, you know, it's been a, having to set up a whole new farm from scratch with the irrigation, everything else um, on an old dairy pasture has been um, a challenge considering I only just finished getting the, the last one set up um, before that. Um, but now at our new place, we, we have water security. So one of the reasons, so we were looking for a property for about four years before we managed to find the property that had the right, um, the right combination of soil, water, a home for my young family and price, which is always the, the bigger sticking factor on that. And so now we have one and a half acres of cultivated land. Um, we don't grow on all of that at any one time, just because it's only pretty much my, just myself and my wife Tara that are farming. And because we have the seed business and tool business and young kids, um, we are only able to commit part-time to, to doing it. So at any one time, yep, yeah, we're about, yeah. So um, at any one time, we're probably growing between uh, half an acre, maybe up to three quarters of an acre during, during summer, um, but, Having now having spent the last 18 months getting the property set up, we're at a point where hopefully from now on we have the option to be able to expand that out without having to spend the time on all the, the setting up of the infrastructure. So um, buying the property, um, we're in a very lucky position to be able to do that. Um, I, in my previous life, had bought a property and sold a property and made a home, like a house, and made a profit off of that. So I, I had a, a deposit and... Tara had been working off farm um, part-time, so she was able to use that income. And I was able to use my income from, from our, our um, businesses to, to go to the bank and, and get a loan. So yeah, so it's going through the kind of real conventional way of, of purchasing a property. Um, but the, the, big, the big thing for me was being able to have the land security and the water security. Um, owning my own property is that we're able to now focus, we don't, we're able to grow perennial crops, which we, we weren't um, wanting to do on the lease land because we weren't ever sure when that was going to, going to end. And it's actually um, from the fresh produce side of things, the, the, uh, some of the perennial crops have actually turned out to be some of our most viable crops. Um, well, yep. I'm going to say yep. to you, and we're just going to jump on scale. We'll yep. Yeah, so we're, we are at a scale which is kind of in no man's land, I would say. So we're kind of at a scale where we, um, where we are able to make enough money to pay the bills, just. <laughs> um, so we're at a real tipping point in our business. So because we kind of have these two parallel businesses, um, at the moment, the fresh produce is what um, creates more of the income for us, but maybe our passion is stronger with the seeds. So we're at a kind of a, a tricky point. So we're at a real um, tipping point in our business where we've got the option. So we, on Monday, actually, I have a, um, my first uh, 
audit to become organically certified. And um, I've been approached by a couple of um, high-end um, supermarkets to, that would like to, to stock our produce. So we have an opportunity there to really kind of ramp up our, our fresh produce um, production. But again, my fear is that that's then going to take away from the seeds, which is I'm more passionate about, um, and not give me the opportunity to develop that side of the business. So we have an opportunity to scale up, but I'm not actually sure if we're going to take it. We, the second option is actually to, for one of us, or to get some part-time off-farm work where we actually, actually might earn more dollars per, per hour to, to then buy some hours to develop the seed business, which, which we would like to. So it's kind of guaranteeing the um, market to the love. Yeah, the, the yeah. I, we, we love the market gardening. It's just not, I think we just love the seed production more. So it's, um, yeah. So where, you know, I guess I'm more at a point of, um, of I guess the scale that we're at now is at a, at a scale where it's kind of a bit like, um, it's on those graphs yesterday that, that Walter, not Walter, that, um, that James put up, um, kind of in that no man's land. So we've kind of gone a little bit bigger than the, the quite small scale um, just hand tools, but we're not kind of big enough where we've kind of reached the sort of, um, some of the production thresholds to, to really break into some of the other markets. So at the moment we sell, John, yep. Yeah. Yep, all right, Thank good. You. Um, so, so we've been scaling up for about two years. Um, right now we're at three acres and it's, it's a sweet spot. Um, it's, it's, enough, um, it's enough to provide a living wage for everybody that works there. It's enough to provide me with a good wage and, and it's enough to reinvest in the business. Um, it's, it's, um, it's kind of also, it's a sweet spot in one sense, but it's also a crux point where if we want to expand anymore, we're going to have to take on another full-time employee and that's going to mean we need to generate another fifty, sixty $60,000 a year instantly. Um, to account for that, and you, so you've got to start asking yourself questions of what you what do you what do you want? What do you, do you want to get bigger? What what are you aiming for? What what are we trying to do? Um, I'm kind of feeling that. Um, I, I just actually just talk a bit more how we how we grew. Um, for the people that were at the farm tour on Friday, we you'll see our system of, of permanent beds. Um, we've just been adding beds organically for it for the years and taking on new customers. So we, we would take on um, a few new customers a month, um, then another new customer, one might leave, so we've got more capacity to take on another. Um, it's allowed us to be really flexible and, and just grow naturally. Um, yes, now we're, now we're at this good point. I'm kind of, feel, personally, like I can only talk from personal experience, I'm kind of feeling like I would prefer not to get any bigger. I would prefer to try and hone in things that we do do, try and create more efficiencies on the farm, um, try and get our, our plantings really good, but 
to try and get it absolutely perfect um, and just work with the customers we've got um, and try and develop those relationships even deeper and stronger. At the moment, um, I, I have to cut down people's orders every week. Um, if somebody orders 50 bunches of spinach, they're going to get 35 and an apology note. Um, and we have to do that across the board. Um, I don't want to push that capacity anymore and um, destroy the relationships that we spent three, three, three years building up. Um, so yeah, it's, it's asking questions of scale and what, what, what you're aiming for. We all know that it's, it's, uh, in our economy, in our world, there's some crazy, um, crazy belief that we've always got to keep growing. And we know how unsustainable that is. And it's unsustainable for us as farmers to keep growing. There's a line to be drawn. There's a lifestyle that we need, that I want to live and it's not exponential, constant growth. Yeah, that's really important to keep in mind. Um, so Aaron, you were saying you're on an acre. What, what, sort of, what dictates that scale for you? How come that's your scale? Well, I'm actually going to say it's an acre and a half. I did the maths with Matt just the other day. I always thought it was an acre. No wonder it's so big. <laughs> Um, what dictates it? Well, to be honest, in that acre and a half, there's a lot of cover cropping going on. Uh, this year, it, you know, the improvements over, I would never wish my first year on anyone or my second year on anyone. The learning curve has been out of control. This is my first year of paying myself. Thank you. The first three years, everything went back into the business and I really couldn't see when that wouldn't happen. Um, and access to market this last uh, 12 months has been amazing and this last 12 months, like end of financial year planning for next year, I can actually see the potential of putting somebody on full time. At the moment I've got four people, three people that help in the market garden, 20 paid hours um, and nobody has responsibility. So you know, they, they do as I ask and they're trained and whatever, but nobody is taking on a come, do your hours and leave. And I would like to have somebody that, and I think potentially there's, there is the potential for a decent wage um, for two people. And uh, to have that support, I work ridiculously hard. And cost of labour in our, you know, in my system is, you know, that's the highest expense. Um, so, yeah, I think that uh, an acre and a half, improve, improving the efficiencies, um, there's, there's heaps of potential to produce more food at that scale. Chickens is another thing, but I'm going to keep that <laughs> for next time. Um, okay. So, Hayden, you have worked at lots of different scales. Is it right now you scale that you think of? So my block is 12 acres and it was all old citrus and the least of least various blocks um, from four acres to 10 acres. And I went to Queensland for six months and grew 30 acres worth of butternut on my own and actually lost money. I was chasing the golden egg. Um, so I've come back to my block and um, basically I grow six acres of pumpkin each year, moving it around. Um, I do all the work myself. That takes about planting, weeding, everything, running irrigation, pulling it up is about 
20 days work for me. Um, this year I got out of the six acres, 40 tonne of pumpkin. Um, I have woofers every now and then. The last 12 months I've had a month of one woofer. Um, I also grow brassicas. I pick my markets when I want to um, have the produce to sell and get a premium price and I grow a premium product. And um, I'm just planting at the moment uh, 5,000 collies and 3,000 cabbages, which I'll harvest October, November. And all the spring glut has gone through by then and it seems to be really scarce. So there goes one of my secrets. <laughs> and I can pretty much ask, so I'm a price setter, not a price taker. Um, at the moment, there's a little bit of butternut around, so I won't sell mine. I've got it in storage. I'll bring it out probably July, August. And then I dictate the price because if the wholesalers are ringing me, I decide the price. If I ring them, they decide the price. And that way I have a, like I love being on the farm. Um, it's what I do every day. Sometimes I work into the night with a head torch and I'm quite happy doing that. Um, some days are harder to get going than others, but once you get going, you're going. Um, it's, most of it is planted to orchard now. I'm gonna keep some space for cash crops and then I wanna buy about another 12 acres um, for continually growing brassicas and pumpkin. I also wanna get closer to the city. So the, I, I bought very cheap land in Wakery, which is two and a half hours north of Adelaide on the Murray. And I wanna make enough money there to buy a block in the Adelaide Hills or on the Flurio somewhere. Once all the accountants and lawyers have finished buying up what they want, then <laughs> there might be something left. Um, I also wanna buy uh, a degraded cereal farm. Um, somewhere out in the Mallee and build the soils. And my aim is to grow um, summer crops dry land on basically, you talk to some farmers and they say, I've got a lot of tired paddocks. So they blame it on the paddocks. They don't say, it's code for I'm a shit farmer. <laughs> so I think the idea of organic farming is to buy that land which has been degraded and basically abused and bring it back to something close to what it was by building carbon, soil structure. And on my block now, when I plant a green manure crop of brassicas, I've still got, it'll grow through the summer and still be green. And then winter comes again and off it goes. So I've had some fumigant brassicas now that are about three years old and they just keep growing. And you pull them up and the roots are going down about a foot and they haven't been watered at all. So, and our annual rainfall is 180 mils a year. And last year we only had 90. So it's just about, yeah, building up soil, organic matter and um, rehabilitating the ground, using what moisture you have there. And yeah, just, I wanna keep buying broken farms and fixing them. <laughs> Okay, the um, 
the, the challenges of being at half acre scale are uh, you have to be very efficient and you have to really farm it well. I, it's, it's about getting the maximum out of a very, very small area. And because, well, we didn't start with good soil and we, it's interesting, I mean, I didn't rehabilitate a rundown farm, but I, I went into what is not really productive. Um, and it's, we have had 35 years of, of production out of this area using organic techniques and there is only sign of it getting better. It's still getting better. And I just need to be a better farmer, you know. It's, it's this huge learning curve for your whole life. That's why it's fun. That's why we do it. Um, at half an acre, um, when Mike was alive, he also, we're very diverse. And we also, a bit like John, we have a tool business called Gundru Tiller. And uh, it, the balance of those two businesses was really good. They, they were actually stacked on each other as well. Um, at this stage, I'm on my own, and I've always known, we've always known, that if you're farming on your own, it is a tough gig. It is a really tough gig. And that two people can, um, working together, if it works, can be, it just, there's a synergy that makes it amazing. And so my challenge at the moment is I can't get any bigger. Um, and it's not really big enough it's, no, it's not big enough to bring somebody else in for a working wage. Um, so what do I do? And um, so it's kind of business as usual. The tool business is working. I'm stepping the farm up a bit at this stage. But I have to say, it's, I've got a choice. I can either bring in somebody, you know, have an intern as a, a very serious learning proposition. And I believe that, that internships are a fantastic way to learn farming. I wish I had been able, had the opportunity to intern with a really good grower. Um, so we can do that, but I'm also, <laughs> um, I'm looking at a block of land in our village, which is 10 acres. It has unlimited uh, water out of the Yass River, which is fresh and good, and they have a license. And there's a community that's really hungry for food. And it's, I'm flying thought bubbles at the moment, but I can see that there's an opportunity for a village of about 250 people, about to double in size because of development, um, to get a enough shareholders to buy this particular block of land. There's some other history about this block of land, which I'm not going to go into, but if Gundaroo owned its own market garden with a skilled couple of growers growing there, it has got food security for the future. And it's got a big enough population to be able to feed the subscribers and, and the owners of the land. It would be a sharehold system and, um, and the excess could be sold to Gundaroo. Like. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm at this stage I have an opportunity to, to rethink what I do. I, I don't know where I'm going, but I do know that half an acre with one person is a tough gig. Yeah. yeah. So your scale, you mentioned to me that um, you can buy the like, cattle babies and balancing all these things that you've also got company markets. So what, what are you looking towards for your scale? 
Yeah, so we really want to get bigger. Um, we came in Canada, we were working on the five, six acre scale plus on top of that cereals. Um, we would love to get to that. So actually at the moment we're looking for land to get to the five to 10 acre scale. Um, yeah, farming with two babies is definitely interesting, but that has def definitely dictated where we're at. But it's also been a blessing because having children, we based our business around that lifestyle and making sure that we can incorporate our children into our farm. And so that we both feel, you know, that we can, can work on it with our children and, you know, raise them together. Uh, yeah, and we feel ready to jump to the next level. We, we, we're still gonna lease land for sure, because um, we can't afford to, you know, get, get money to buy anything, especially in our area. Uh, we have a market that's really screaming for food. We can't keep up with it, which is a really good, good thing to have. Um, and we've got someone, we hired someone this year because I said we had a baby in December, so we hired someone on this year. And, and the scale we're at, we can hire two people full time. Um, but he really wants to come on the journey with us and be um, working full time um, on the long term. So. Now that we have him and we've got, uh, yeah, we just feel ready to make the next, next leap. So at the moment we're looking this winter, next season we'll do the season where we are as we start to prepare the next place. Um, yeah, so we're just really excited to, so to keep going. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like having those markets ready for your property and having the skills behind you of working on that bigger scale, does that make it a more comfortable idea about yeah. moving towards that? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, having people who say, I want to sell your food, um, having that serious support and feeling like there's a lot, there's a lot we could grow in our local area. Um, we could do, we lo I love doing farmer's markets. We want to get into farmer's markets. Um, yeah, there's a lot of room for growth, for sure, and we need more people doing it, and, you know, there's so much potential, potential there, for sure, and, um, yeah, and we just, we've always had a dream to grow, grow more and meet more people, that's kind of always where we wanted to go as a couple and as individuals, so, yeah, yeah and we'd love to get, actually, seed saving, so, really, yeah, getting into seeds is definitely, definitely Olivier has a big passion to grow seeds, um, we see a huge need for that in Australia, because um, most of our seeds are coming from overseas. And that's, yeah, we really need to start working towards having more viable seed on this continent. Um, so yeah, so that's definitely where we want to go as well. <laughs> so um, I will open it up to everybody now. Um, and I want to make sure that people who may have the opportunity, have their voice heard, are going to have the opportunity. So, um, and we can talk about sound viability or we can talk about whatever you want. So if you guys, I don't know, I feel like maybe it's going to be less chaotic if we raise hands and then I point to people like some sort of overlord. Um, <laughs> and if you are wanting to direct your question to a particular person, then let's do that and they'll know the talk. So who's got a question? Oh, hello. Yes. Hi. Hi. Uh, this is a question for everyone. I think everyone thinks a lot about this, but not that. How much is enough? Yeah, so in terms of like scale, like how much do we want to grow these businesses before we sort of like this is enough? You talk a bit about it in terms of kind of like work like balance. Maybe also in terms of like whether we start hogging, you know, the market for other people to be able to Sorry, can you repeat after hogging the market? I don't want to use those terms, but how much how much is enough before we start sort of reproducing the people that are struggling with? Right, okay. Yeah. Who, who wants 
this and I guess coming from Can Canada and maybe Amy could say too coming from the UK where a lot of this is already happening and there's a very vibrant movement and it's been happening for quite a long time I think people just once you get I mean markets of course do get a bit more saturated but it just means you need to think a bit differently you need to change you need to be a bit more creative with what you're doing you need to maybe be a bit more niche um, and just see where you can fit your business in but I think I think the potential is endless at the moment. I don't see. We were actually quite shocked. I thought there would be more happening here when we came here. Um, you mean Australia? Yeah, in Australia. I mean, I mean, I don't know much about like this area. Maybe there's a bit more going on, but up where we are, I feel you know I was a bit surprised by the lack of lack of things going on. Um, and yeah, it's exciting to be at the beginning of a movement, but it's also it has its challenges. Yeah. So yeah, I think just. I just we really want to just inspire as many people as we can to get get growing and you know in whatever capacity that is. Is it Tammy Jonas that said you don't even scale But I think we need both. Like I think we need people we need people to grow on a bigger scale to feed certain markets. We need yeah. people to grow on smaller scales to feed other markets. So we need both. We need people to be inspired and to just move and make it happen and and yeah. Right. Support each other no matter what you're doing. I think even if you're in the same market. Question. Um, just a very small comment off of Andy's point of just like, you know, when we're all looking at complete, like, just thinking about continual growth as the end point, that's what's really toxic about our current economic systems. And it's really inspiring to see different ways of people getting around and we're all trying to create different mechanisms that we're not just having that as our focus, that more important, more quality of life things are much more important. But my question was, like, my own work, I don't have enough time to be a full-time grower, but I love growing things. I've got too many other things going on, but I love helping out on farms and 
kind of trying to start an idea with some friends who've got a farm where I actually go and help out a bit and they instead of having a CSA system, there's a system of we write down hours in a book and then when produce comes on, we kind of get that back in, in form of like an agreed price for labour and for costs and whether that's something that people think could be a way of getting labour that's not woofing or that's not kind of constant labour but an ability to kind of tap into people like me who love to grow but don't often have a lot of like you know full time but are keen to kind of put stuff in because we love supporting the growing but if if that can work as a a, something a a different thing again from a CSA or from a yeah so no experience with a system like that or what thoughts about yeah, yeah, I do. Um, just, um, I don't know, kind of people know about my situation, but oh my God. And, uh, so um, I went through a really, I went through a really difficult patch where you know we, this this is about the like I look at this room of young people and I'm just so good um, because of, there's a lot of old farmers um, and I think that it's so important for um, for this thing because I to have young young people aspiring to grow food. Um, now, can I just talk through a few of these things? Um, with this business of getting bigger, I've traveled around the world and looked at a lot of farms. And basically, um, the, the change from con- conventional or, or industrial chemical farming to organic or ecological farming, or the, the difference is People power versus it's it's solar power actually versus um, fossil fuels and in this industry which we are at, at the beginning of and, and which we which I, I think there's huge huge potential to grow I mean on our side of you know Canberra could take loads of us I mean I know there's people from Canberra here that may say that the marketing's difficult but I. There, are, there is the demand far exceeds what is available. So I don't think there's a problem in the marketplace. Um, there's a problem in the skill levels. I think we need to up the skill levels. Um, but but it, every time I travel and look at it, this ratio of how many people are working to the amount of land, it's um, there is a real danger. As if you get bigger, you just employ more people um, because that's the nature of the work. Um, we haven't got the ability just to pour more fossil fuels, more chemical fertilizers on. We we have to actually do the work. So to set the scale of what we were doing, we started from the other end completely with our business. To, it's how much do we actually need? We sat down and worked out what we needed to survive, and then we worked to that end. And it, there is a really good book, the, the crop planning book um, out of the Canadian... Yeah, the Canadian Organic Growers book. Um, I was just dipping into that um, because I was coming to this the other day, and it's right there at the beginning. It's all there, how you do it. To get back to looking at creative systems of involving um, more people, because to feed the planet, we're going to need more people. And if it, in any way whatsoever, if we can draw people back into their food growing system, um, that's a good and healthy and amazing thing. And I've got three families locally who saw what was happening at All Sun Farm when I was getting more and more stressed for time. And they all said, look, Joyce, 
we would rather help you for a few hours a week to grow food together as a group because you've got the tools, you've got the knowledge, you've got the soil and, um, and the expertise and we can come all care, no responsibility and in exchange can we have vegetables, which is exactly what you're doing. And it, it is seriously empowering arrangement. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I kind of played devil's advocate a little bit. I, I think like if you're if you're a farmer and you're you're employing people, um, it's your responsibility to be able to pay them a living wage. And if you can't do that, you probably need to be like looking at your business and your system and asking yourself why you can't. Um, you don't want to be like, personally, I wouldn't want to be building my business on volunteer labor or asking favors of people, despite people wanting to learn and um, people, there's, there's many ways to access farming, but um, it's important to pay back and it's important to have um, an economically viable business. I've, I've always been paid to farm. So I understand how hard you work and financial reward that you need to get back from that. And I'm going to make a comment on that. Uh, and I think quite similarly, but a little bit differently, because I had the opportunity to work for other people for exchange of knowledge. And, you know, for half a day, it would be tools down, explain. And so, and, and I, I kind of almost feel a payback sort of in my head. But at the same time, I don't want people living on the farm. Um, you know, when my day ends, I want the day to end. I want to, you know, to, to try and forget about it and think about it, you know, do other things. So when I employ somebody, I, you know, we're quick. You know, everything has to be done efficiently. But on Fridays... That's when I've given my opportunity. I get a lot of, you know, quite a few people that are interested in food, you know, whether they just want to grow it themselves, whether they're never going to grow it themselves, but, you know, they're going to go to the supermarket and maybe buy something that's in season as opposed to not in season or, you know, start putting some um, thoughts together about, you know, deeper thoughts. Um, so the aim of those Fridays when I take those people's on and I generally say yes in spring because I've got all the energy and you know into summer I'm like no way that's crazy but the aim of that Friday is to be able to achieve what I would be able to achieve without that person and then you know for the rest of that time it's you know I try and work out so that they can get exposure to seed raising or you know planting or weeding so that they can learn to use different tools and sort of make it applicable to where they're where they're going whether it's home growing whether it's you know maybe they're thinking about herbs or a micro business or something like that so just yeah I kind of try and suppose just to clarify like you know sorry I've got enough skills yeah so it's not and also but it is hard to expect a volunteer to go you know but they're paying me by like we work out an hourly rate and then I get paid in vegetables at that rate so, we've got kind of any more questions. So, who is thinking of questions? Yes, I see one here. I'm just wondering how you're like, everyone's doing the technical problems. How are you looking after yourself? Are you having holidays? Are you actually spending seasonal season? Actually, you're having a holiday. Is <laughs> Short holidays are the best, um, three or four days, and it's amazing what, what you can feel, but 
when you're doing something that you love every day and you can choose your hours, you choose your variety, then, um, you know, to go away for more than three or four days, I start to stress and feel anxious about I need to get back. And when I do go back after three or four days to see how much things have changed and grown is a huge reward. And I actually don't know what to do with myself when I'm away for longer than that. It's, yeah, I couldn't imagine going on a holiday. And I'm the opposite. I would love a freaking holiday. Uh, I don't know if anyone did the free Jean-Martin um, little workshop. Sorry. Um, at the beginning... At the beginning of this season, and he was talking about setting your goals at the beginning of the season and working towards that. My number one goal was I can do, you know, long hours and I can do day after day after day, but I need to see the light. I need to see that there are the three or four days um, away, generally at the beach. I love the beach and we're so far from the beach. So for me this season, that was the highest priority. And I think I fitted in, I delayed one another week and uh, I then um, cancelled May's. So, I, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm getting closer to that. That, you know, three days, four days is not time for me to switch off. I'm still thinking about market gardening, but physically, because it is a physical, you know, profession that I'm in. It's, not, it's constant. It's, you know, because I've got the physio background, things are done quite ergonomically, but it's just the constant, you know, but I, and... You know, yeah, I do work long hours, but I do see this year, you know, what I was able to achieve this year that I'm getting closer to the... It is hard when you're starting. You know, I look at my cousins who, who you know, their parents had farms and so they walk, you know, the infrastructure's there. It's not like their first... All of their income for the first few years keep going into infrastructure, infrastructure, infrastructure. Um, so... I have hope that that's where I'm going to. If I was already having the holidays, I'd probably give up on this because I feel like I've aced it and it's time to move on to the next challenge. So despite not being able to afford it and knowing the impact it's going to have on my farm while I'm away, I am going away for two weeks to Darwin on, on, on Wednesday. So, and I'm, you know, internally, it's absolutely painful knowing what I'm going to come back to, but I'm going to do it anyway. I, I would just say that Elliot Coleman says you actually have to take Sunday off. <laughs> and he's got, for no other reason than, than you need to have a break. It's absolutely crucial to rebuild. But, uh, and, and I, I do do some of that stuff, but I, I adore farming and I adore meeting farmers and the isolation, particularly in this country, means that I have specialised, and Mike and me have specialised in these amazing tax-free holidays. So this is a holiday for me, and it's been really wonderful. It's totally tax-deductible, and I've, I've, I go home feeling revitalised, and um, all the stuff that, that drains you day after day after day in long hours, if you can get off your farm and spend time with other farmers, yay. It's so good. Yeah. Wonderful. Thanks, everybody. conversations here to be had, so flag down if you